the caregiver actually is distracted from their work at least once a minute. Mm. Every single minute they are interrupted. How can they focus when this is happening? Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today we're talking to Dr. Christine Clark. Christine is the CEO and founder of the Calandra Education Group, a New Zealand-based independent tertiary institute empowering healthcare assistants to improve the lives of older adults through training. And this training is often focused on addressing gaps in a healthcare assistant's knowledge, with an eye to the future and how the needs and concerns of older adults are changing. In this episode, we talk about how aged care environments and the policies that shape them affect healthcare assistants, how we can best prepare for a rapidly changing industry, and a lot more. So, we hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Christine Clark. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Can we start with a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Um, yeah, I'm a registered nurse by trade and I'm a doctor by qualification, not the ND, but uh, I established Calandra, which is a private training organization uh, several years ago in response to needs I saw in aged care. So the care was good, but there were definite gaps and both my parents were in aged care and my doctorate was in aged care. So these gaps became more and more obvious. And so that was explored during the doctorate. And what were some of these gaps? The older people aren't the compliant people that we knew years ago. You know, they expect far more in their care. But they are much more discerning consumers. They expect a higher level of service. And, and this is the average person. And this is pretty much worldwide. And we don't actually make allowances for that. We will develop villages for them, which have got the chandeliers and the beautiful spa pools. But that appears to be tokenism. That appears to be, okay, let's develop these gorgeous places and we're going to charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars more to live there. Hmm. But the average consumer, you know, I'm quickly getting there. And I want to know that if I've had a stroke, I can go to someone for a massage because I like massages. But I need to know that they can actually understand I'm going to need positioning slightly differently. I need to understand that the person who's doing my facial can comprehend that the skin is aging and they really shouldn't try and tear it off with wax. <laughs> you know, but we're not addressing those needs. So even in our dementia care, we aren't addressing the fact that we're very stereotyped typical of, of our care with dementia and it's only the few radical organisations which are beginning to look at what else we can offer. So, you know, 20% of the world is aged and we are not addressing that at all. Mm. Do you think these shifting expectations of older adults is just a result of adjusting to a new lifestyle or are there other elements at play here as well? I think that they've just over the period of years become a lot more um, demanding and that's uh, not in a negative way at all. And they're expecting more. They've got more disposable income. I'm talking about the, the New Zealand, Australian, European type thing, not the third world. 
and you know I said those those needs I don't think they're aware yet I don't think the older person is aware that they can actually ask for people to be skilled in something other than the purple hair dye <laughs> you know or the rinse I, I don't think they realize that this can actually happen that they can expect to be well pre-COVID they could have been taken on tours on the most beautiful of boats and have fantastic care, which is addressed to their needs. And that the ageing person, uh, yes, you know, we've got longevity going on more than ever, ever before. There's a lot of 80-year-olds in this world now. But the average person's actually quite fit. Mm-hmm. And we stereotype them as being the, the older person who's got limited mobility, limited um, cognitive functions, and, you know, everyone seems to think that aged people are um, about to pick the bucket. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it is at all, and we're not addressing it. Mm. So maybe a good way to kind of establish what Calandra does is to look at what's the the sort of bog standard framework in New Zealand, what, what training is required, what's mandatory, and what does Calandra provide that's extra? So in New Zealand, our training starts at level two. Uh, that is the very basic foundation training, which will get someone to be a reasonably safe caregiver. So, so we're talking about healthcare assistants, or they call them clinical assistants. So just the basic, in the old days, they're called nurse assistant. Then we have our level three, which is a little bit more intense and a little bit more skill-based and a little bit of ethics and professionalism added into it. Uh, and then there's level four, which is your almost your team leader type role. And under Calandra, we specialise that role into someone that either offers mental health, has mental health knowledge or has a, a reasonably good level of dementia care knowledge. In New Zealand, we went through the pay parity thing in 2017, and that rocked the world, I think, where the government all of a sudden, almost overnight, said, okay, we recognise the healthcare assistant has been very much underpaid and undervalued, so we are going to increase their pay hugely. Mm. But this happened overnight, basically. And they said uh, in the pay parity act that if you had been working as a healthcare assistant up to eight years, you're regarded as a level two. This is with no qualifications. And if you've been working up to 12 years, now that's a significant time, you're regarded as a level three. And if you were 12 years plus, which is a lifetime for a lot of people in work to be in one job, uh, you were regarded as a level four. Mm-hmm. You didn't need training. But we do have those trainings um, available. And, you know, if the pay in July for a level four is going to be $27 an hour, that's pretty significant money. Hmm. Then you can do level five. It's not recognised under pay parity. So you do that just as a team leader or to improve your CV. Mm-hmm. Our internationally qualified nurses, it doesn't matter where you come from, including Australia, unless you've done our cultural papers, you are only regarded as a level three. So that's a slap in the face for registered nurses. Once you've done your cultural papers or you've done the level four, you can be paid as a level four. But I I probably shouldn't be saying this. We do not treat our internationally qualified nurses with the respect that they deserve. But under that pay parity, at least they're getting pretty good money. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the future of of training carers and healthcare assistants is to be more specialised or more general or, or some combination? That may be more specialty orientated. It may be, uh, yes, we need people with knowledge of dementia. Absolutely. And and that's one of our many um, requirements of people work in dementia. They must have a couple of our unit standards within a few months of working in that area. But 
I'm thinking that that our care is going to deteriorate. Mm. That the opportunity for caring is not going to be there, and that actually that really worries me. One of the things organisations did with the pay parity because they didn't want to pay the increased money was they went through and they looked at some of the non-clinical jobs that the healthcare system was doing. You know, for example, putting out the the meal trays, mm. and they removed that out of their role, which was is not a bad thing. And they they created another person, another role, and so the healthcare assistant became more, I guess, more clinically focused, more task focused. And and one of the things I I worry about is that over a period of time, because of the time pressure that they are under, because they're expected to cope with so many clients, that their their role is become going to become very task focused, and they're not going to have time to provide the caring that the older person needs, you know, and they're not going to have time to sit on that bed and give them the hug that they need. Mm. All right, they shouldn't be sitting on the bed anyway, but, you know, they need to be able to to give someone a hug when they need a hug. When I did my doctorate, what I realised was that when people first became a health assistant, they went into, I call it the protective mode, where they offered task-focused care. They were just trying to protect their job and their income, and so therefore – they were focusing on just making the bed well, um, sharing the person well. They weren't weren't able to cope with actually adding in that extra hug, the touch, or the makeup on the person, or or give give them a shave that they wanted desperately. They could only cope with what they absolutely had to do. And I'm really worried that with the increased number of clients they're going to get, with the cost saving which will is occurring that the person is going to become more task-focused. But when they get past that, they actually then start to learn how to balance their workload really well. And then when they've learned how to balance it, that's when they become engaging. And so you've got this amazing person who can work their time, manage their time incredibly well, teach others, work with families, do counselling, go and find the resources they need because they've learned how to balance everything Mm -hmm. and they get support. Hopefully, they get support of their colleagues and their employers. And that's when they become that really rich, caring person who then does all that engagement. That's the person we need. Mm-hmm. But that comes with employer support. So let's go for the engaged person. So what does it take to, to find these engaged people? Is it just a matter of you know time in the system with the correct support or is there something about recruitment? Yeah, it is time because I did actually come across quite a few people who didn't want to be healthcare assistants but had worked in the area long enough that they had learned to love it mm. and so and learned to become comfortable. They need that time, but they need that support. One of the things that they would say to me when they first came into a unit or first became a healthcare assistant was under this protecting thing that if they saw the nurse or they saw the boss walk past, they would actually physically hide. Oh, wow. They were, that, they were so worried about protecting their job. They didn't care. They are doing a good job. They would hide. And uh, and things like if resources were short and they wanted to wear gloves, for example, and they were told they couldn't because they were too expensive, believe it or not, they would hide those gloves so that no one would know they were wearing gloves and they wouldn't do anything with gloves on until people were not around them. Mm. This is how bad it was for them. So we need them to be safe. And then once they got past that, they were then working out how to balance everything hmm. and not be so scared. Then they would engage and provide that time for the caring. Really interesting. 
That's interesting that that's linked to the Pay Parity Act. That mm. what's what's you know ostensibly an act to to compensate people for their work more fairly may result in a, a changing standard of care. Yeah, yeah, and that's because uh, you know. In the past, they might have employed two people to look after 16 clients, hmm. which eight, eight clients a person is pretty reasonable in the aged care place under the pay parity because of the increase in pay. They cut back on staff, and so they employed this person to, to put out the, the tray tables and to tidy up afterwards, and they cut back on the number of healthcare assistants. And so they, they were incredibly time-stressed, very, very time-stressed. So they are expected to do more. Hmm. Not all places, I'm generalising, of, hmm, course, of course, but they are expected to do more. How do you think that the workload of, of care assistance can be reduced without affecting the quality of care or, you know, resulting to, to cost-saving measures? Every single piece of literature you read, they talk about time, the time management, how they are time poor, resource poor. So if we were to be sensible and streamline the caring, and it's really hard because when you're talking about patient or person-centered care, you talk about responding to the care that person needs. So if they don't want to get up at seven o'clock in the morning and have their shower and be ready for breakfast at eight, like a lot of places demand, we're meant to respect that and we're meant to say, okay, I'll come back to you and I will help you shower at whatever time it is that you want. That is increasing the load on the caregiver. Mm. So we need to work out a system where we can respect what the person needs, put it number one, but still be really clear at manipulating our time. So there's a huge amount of time wasted in finding resources. Some of these beautiful villages we talk about, some of these beautiful hospitals which are being built, they have not been designed by the person that works in them. And you find that all the linen, so there might be one I saw, was built around a beautiful quadrangle, looked fantastic. So we had four pieces of this ward, all individual rooms, beautiful, and the linen was in the furthest corner. <laughs> and so no matter where you went, you were walking half of that building just about to get to get a sheet. <laughs> yeah. And and because it was beautiful, you weren't allowed to have the old-fashioned linen trolleys in the corridors. You couldn't do that. And the drug room was right on the other side, so you couldn't go and get the medication required and then get the sheet that you needed all at once. Mm. So why don't they, first of all, ask people who know what is required before they design these places, put in quite a few different areas for them to go and get resources. So in other words, actually have a lot of resources available. During my study, I found that the health assistant was having to go into other units or other wards and basically steal pads and sheets and socks, mm. stuff like this, and hide them from the other health assistants so that they could actually manage to give them to their clients. And they spent a lot of time actually trying to find things. <laughs> it was so much wasted time. So, you know, so let's be sensible about, about this and actually have some resources and put them in good locations have actual nurses helping design facilities so that we can look at some time framing. How about when you've got these large facilities, giving the, the staff some little tiny motorized scooter that they could go from one end to the other end when they need to, or put those little conveyor belts through, you know, that you have in the airports to mm -hmm. speed up their walking or, or to limit the amount of energy they're expending. Use technology more efficiently. 
And I and I know that some places when a call bell goes, it'll buzz on a person's phone and alert them instead of the person having to rush out to the corridor to see where the bell is that's sounding. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, some of my research mentioned distractions that the caregiver actually is distracted from their work at least once a minute. Mm. Every single minute they are interrupted. How can they focus when this is happening? And a lot of those distractions are verbal or bells, buzzes, demands from on them. And so we need to minimise those distractions because that's time wasted. Mm-hmm. So what technology can we use which is going to make that easier? But remember, a lot of the caregivers are middle-aged and they don't like technology. So... <laughs> How about we train them and how technology can be friendly and how about we make the technology really easy? So all they have to do is push a button to see where that bell is going. Or if the bell is not answered within two, three minutes, it goes down to the next phone. Mm-hmm. You know, And I know that some systems over here are actually using that, but it's more as a, okay, if the healthcare systems aren't answering within the next number of minutes, it's going to go to the supervisor and they're going to get told off, not why haven't they answered? How can we help them? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that what you didn't say mm-hmm. was you didn't say anything about the specific tasks that are required of care assistance, but you did say environmental factors and using technology in more creative ways. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you think that the the role of the carer as it is at the moment is probably appropriate, but that we can shape the factors around it to help that be more effective? I know that we're going to become uh, more robotic focused. I know that we are using um, things like drying tubes a lot more. There's nothing wrong with that. That will speed up the process and sometimes make life more comfortable for our clients. Do you know, what I did find was that there's no real boundaries to this role. Mm -hmm. And that is actually, I call it the blurred domain, that a lot of these healthcare assistants are working in an area which is not defined, and it's deliberately not defined, because if you define it, then someone could come along and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're working outside of your role. Mm -hmm. In New Zealand, we only have a role defined by their employment contracts, their job descriptions, and by the qualifications. No one is going to actually say, you shouldn't actually be doing this. I mean, the the unions sort of say you shouldn't be doing it, but nothing really happens. And, And so this blurred domain, especially for that internationally qualified nurse, She's a pseudo-registered nurse. You know, we exploit them. And I'm going to get ripped over the knuckles for saying this, I'm sure, but we do. And, and you do in Australia as well. We, by default, use their knowledge and their skills they have as an internationally qualified nurse in the aged care environment. And when the registered nurse who's meant to be doing it is not available, usually the internationally qualified nurse or the very senior HCA steps up and fills that gap. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, whatever it is, is not going to be done. And unfortunately, if you're on a work visa, it's very easy to very quietly say, look, you know, you really want us to um, agree to your work visa. You really want us to sign for it for you next time to apply for it. So therefore, you really need to be a very good worker for us. And they feel quite uh, oppressed and feel that they have to do these things, which they sort of feel they probably shouldn't be doing. There's a lot of stuff that they very quietly have to do. They do it very well. I'm not saying our clients are in danger. I am saying that we are ethically and morally wrong in what we are doing with them. So the role of the caregiver, yeah, I love the caring they give. 
I love the fact that sometimes I've got time to give that hug and to sit with someone and cry. And I love the fact that they can sometimes have time to grieve. I do see the role changing and I'm really worried that that beautiful caring is what is going to be sacrificed. Mm. Putting someone in a drying tube is not the same as actually drying someone. You're listening to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. We're on a mission to examine ways to improve the quality of care and the quality of life for seniors. And each week, we're bringing age care industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals directly to you to share their knowledge, stories, and experiences. In season one of the podcast, we delivered thought-provoking and meaningful episodes covering consumer experience, dementia care, palliative care, service transformation, and research and innovation. And we've got plenty more amazing guests lined up for season two. So maybe you'd like to partner with us and have your message showcased directly to our rapidly growing audience of aged care executives and people working within the industry. For advertising inquiries, please email acepodcast at silver, that's S-I-L-V-R, adventures.com.au. Now let's get back to this week's guest. So you've mentioned a few times there the exploitation of, of overseas qualified nurses. And, and let's just dig into that. What do you think, what are the changes that would be need to be made to alleviate that exploitation? Is there some sort of external auditing that needs to go on? What, what do you think the solution is there? Ah, uh, look, it's been audited to hell around the world. <laughs> a lot of people have been talking about it. There's been a lot of inquiries all over the world as to the role of the healthcare assistant and, you know, and predominantly these inquiries are triggered by abuse, deaths in different areas. There's been huge inquiries in the UK over the years. There's been big inquiries and, well, they're still going on in Australia, Mm -hmm. massive ones in New Zealand, you know, and, and still it goes on and they talk about legislation and regulation and some people want it and some people don't want it. There are about, I think it's 27 countries which actually have a regulation or legislation defining the role. And it is that, and it, it defines a role which is really task orientated. You can do this, 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 and this. And it never mentions anything about, about that empathy and the caring. You know, I, I'd like to actually be quite radical and I'd like to be able to say, how about we recognize the internationally qualified nurse as a qualified nurse? that each country has some sort of bridging program and actually allows them to operate at the level they should be at. New Zealand used to do it with doctors, had a bridging program, and then we stopped it. Why don't we, and perhaps we say it's aged care only because aged care is so very short of internationally qualified nurses. And how about we go one stage beyond that and we say, okay, world, most of the world is desperately short of caregivers in aged care. And there are a few countries which have a lot of people they can actually train and export to fill these gaps. Why don't we come up with a qualification which was pretty generic, which most of the world actually likes, and we actually teach that to reasonably young people. And these young people with these new skills, caring skills, can then go and do the OE in almost any country of the world. And they can actually earn reasonable money and look after our older people and experience the world at the same time. Now, my God, Mm. you know, nannies used to do that and bartenders used to do that. Why can't healthcare assistants do that? And so I could learn as a healthcare assistant uh, in New Zealand how anywhere in the world would like their older people to be taught, you know, within the reason. You might have to do some cultural papers somewhere along the line. And I could go to Ireland and work for a year 
Mm. And then I could cross the ditch and I could go somewhere else, you know. We could make that attractive to youth. And then how about we come even more dramatic here and we actually say, you do that and you work as a healthcare assistant in your own country or internationally, say, for two or three years. And, oh, my God, we might actually give you some credit towards a nursing program or a physio program or something and put you on your way along another pathway. That could be quite interesting. But, no, uh, you know, our professions are quite arrogant and snobby. And this probably wouldn't work. Mm. It would be nice if it could. But it, it highlights a, like the fragmentation internationally in, in the way that care qualifications are, are presented and, and the requirements of them. And, and also the, the kind of lack of pathway, as you said, that perhaps one way to get more people engaged in, in care work is to say, you know, this will contribute to a further qualification, you can test this out. This could be a way into a different career. But I could see for some people it might be seen at the moment as as sort of a, a one-stop destination. Yeah. There's nowhere to go beyond aged care. Yeah, we have that in New Zealand uh, because it would be very difficult for a healthcare assistant to actually get into nursing mm. because they haven't got the sciences that are required. They could perhaps get into the diploma level but not the registered level, maybe. But probably not. You know, there's quite an arrogance through all of our different healthcare professionals, all the councils. You know, we're desperate for registered nurses. We're desperate for the healthcare assistants. And yet we don't actually do a hell of a lot to attract them. Yeah, that's that's a challenge the world over, I'm sure. So um, a, a few years ago, Korea put out a call for farm labourers to come in and look after their older people. Uh, farm labourers. Hmm. In New Zealand, our government actually said that the people that were no longer picking kiwi fruit could look after our older people, and they were prepared to do a two-day training course. I mean, how absolutely disgraceful was that? I mean, what a disrespect to our older people. So, I mean, circling right back to the start, and uh, you're talking about the shifting landscape. I know there is an aging population problem in most countries and Australia and New Zealand are, are no exceptions to this. What can healthcare assistants and carers do to prepare for the future? If you were going to be sensible and were career driven, you would probably think, okay, how can I be different? What else can I add? Mm. What can I do on my CV, which is going to impress people? You know, same as if you want to be a, a fireman now or a, into the armed forces now. How can I look different to anybody else? And if I was that person, I would be looking and thinking, okay, I'm going to add in some extra information on dementia, which is very freely available, at least the knowledge, especially from um, Australia, amazing research done out of Australia. I would be looking at experience in palliative care because our aged care facilities are palliative care now. They are almost hospice. I would be looking at, can I do some massage for the older person? What can I learn about beauty therapy for the older person? What can I learn about exercise related to the older person? Can I do some counselling courses? Probably not because there's not really a lot of counselling courses around. I'll tell you something here. We developed a graduate diploma, level seven, mm -hmm. counselling for the older person. And we took it to NZQA. And do you know what they said? They said to me, why would an older person need counselling? And I just said, are you kidding? This is one person very high up in NZQA. Why wouldn't they need counselling? And we 
fought so hard to get that through and we couldn't and it's currently being taught in Singapore. Hmm. Why wouldn't they need counselling? But as this caregiver, as this really intelligent caregiver, empathetic caregiver, I'd be looking at what else can I add to my abilities that's going to make me really attractive, not because there's 100 people applying for the job, but because I want to be exceptional. So what are you excited for in the coming years within within aged care? Um, I'm really trusting that the whole ethics and professionalism will actually will win and that our healthcare assistants are going to have the most amazing role defined clearly for them so they're safe. But that role will encompass things like knowing how to massage someone, knowing how to spend more time in caring for this person, that I'm really hoping that they won't cut back the numbers of people and that these people will give that opportunity to actually be care assistants and they'll have amazing registered nurses or or similar who will supervise them and train them and support them. So I'm hoping that we will develop a generic qualification which will be recognised around the world and our young people will want to do this career because it's going to open the world to them, COVID willing and other pandemics willing, of course. But, you know, to to use this as the way of of exploring internationally would be amazing. You imagine the skills they could bring back to us mm. and the experience they could bring back to us. It'd be fantastic so this is what i'm hoping for yeah that's that's great and and it would really tap into the aussie and kiwi love of traveling and, and probably it? snag a few younger people into the into the industry yes that's the idea you know it's one of the most complex roles probably anywhere in the world because mm. you're dealing with people multiple people multiple illnesses multiple diseases they've got family tensions and the tensions of going of getting older and dying it's huge and this poor person is so often just dumped in there with very little support because they don't need it because they could be a farm labourer or a kiwi fruit picker to be able to look after old people. <laughs> uh, well, Christine, thanks so much for your time today. It's been fun. People can find more about Calandra at your website. Can you remind us of your website, please? Yeah, it's just www.calandra, K-A-L-A-N-D-R-A dot ac dot nz just google calandra well awesome thank you again for your time yeah. oh thank you ash it was fun well we hope you enjoyed this episode of the age care enrichment podcast brought to you by silver adventures don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you're listening and if you're enjoying it please leave us a review we'd really appreciate it If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com.au. See you next week.